Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can gather together in this place. And um, thank you that we can see one another again, Lord. Thank you that you, that you protect us and that you provide for us. And as we open up your word again and as we journey towards Christmas, may you um, bring into our hearts anew the expectation of your coming. Pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> How's it, guys? Did you know that you can sweat like 14 liters a day? 14 liters. Can you imagine being part of that test, having to like, with a guy in the bucket, and then <laughs> 14, you can sweat 14 liters a day. It's pretty damn crazy. So um, we are, as Nick said, we are in um, the middle of Advent. I think I'm a bit loud there. We're on the, <clears throat> in the middle of Advent, the second, the second Sunday. And the word Advent means to expect. So, and we are on our way waiting for the coming of Christ again on Christmas. So what makes Advent really interesting, it's always, as Nick said last week, like it's, it's almost this paradox. There's this excitement about the coming of Christ the, with the baby Jesus and all of that. And there's also this, this um, urgency or this almost fear of the coming, the second coming of Jesus again. This, are you ready are you ready for the second coming? So it's the first and the second at the same time, which kind of makes this kind of a strange time. So today I'm going to, there's like three texts that I'm going to go through with us. And uh, I just wanted to, when I read the text in the week, I thought it'd be really cool just to like recap the story a little bit. It's like three pieces, Old Testament, a gospel text and a letter text. And it's kind of cool always to just realize that the texts don't exist in, that don't exist in isolation, that they actually form part of this big, kind of narrative. So uh, the first one is in Malachi, Malachi 3. Malachi 3. If you want to read with me, then you are more than welcome. Otherwise, you can just listen. So uh, Malachi 3, there, verse 1. <clears throat> it reads, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly... The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and, gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring Offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by as in former years. All right? So you got that? So it said there's a messenger coming for the, that it says prepare the way for the day of the Lord. The Lord will come and he will refine like silver. So this is kind of the one type of expectation, almost this fear of the day of the Lord, saying that he will come and he will, he will purify and make right and purify the people that are there. So it's not like a pretty excited coming image. It's a little bit, a little bit of a scary image, especially on a day as hot as this. It uh, is maybe a little bit even more scary. So during this time, just to recap, so during this time, the Jewish people were in exile and uh, the whole world has, has uh, fallen apart. Well, actually in this time, it was just a little bit after the exile. So they've returned to Jerusalem, some of them, and they've rebuilt the temple. So if you remember the story, 
They built the first temple, and then the glory cloud of God came down onto the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple to God. And God came, and he lived in the temple, right? And then they sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned, and eventually they were taken away in exile. So in their temple, flattened to the ground. Horrible, horrible story. If you're looking at people, all the refugee crisis and all of that happening around the world, similar and worse. Like, for instance, in the, when the northern kingdom was taken into exile, the Assyrians took them into exile, and they were a fierce and cruel nation. They would skin their enemies alive and um, nail their skins to the pillars on the gates of the cities so that you know when you enter into the Assyrian cities that um, Nineveh was the Assyrian city, the capital. So um, if you enter into it, you know you're dealing with fierce people and you get yourself and they would, um, they would do damage to a city similar to what a, I don't know, couple of bombs would do today, but they would do it by hand. So physically not leave one stone on top of another. They would literally go and plant weeds in the cities that they've taken over. They would take salt and work it into the lands, into the farming lands, so you can't farm there anymore. They were fierce people. So the Jewish people were in exile, and then... Um, when they came back after 400 years in exile, they rebuilt the temple, but the thing was that the glory of God, the glory cloud, never came back. They dedicated the temple and opened up, but the glory cloud never came back. So at this point in the history, and Malachi is writing, people are still waiting for something to happen, for the day of the Lord to come, for the messenger to come, for God to do what the, prophet, what the prophet said that he was going to do, for God to come and save his people, to come and renew Israel. Because even, even by the time of Jesus, people were back in Israel, but they, would, they just, the, the, oppress, the oppressors just changed. They were in the Babylonian exile, and they came back, and then the Romans took over. So they kept on, they were always being oppressed, right? So they were still waiting for something to happen. So what's important to understand is that the Jewish people were waiting for like a great political leader, somebody that's a revolutionary that would come and take care of the Romans and sort them out and rebuild the temple and rededicate or rededicate the temple so that the glory of God can come and live in the temple again and all of that. So people were waiting for that. So in Malachi, what's beautiful about this little text is that it talks about how God refines the Levites, and refines them as he would refine silver. So this is a very powerful image. So I've got a little video that I brought with of somebody refining silver. Apparently, if you can go onto YouTube and you go, how do you refine silver? You get a ton of little videos because apparently what people do is they go and buy up scrap metal, like lead and uh, old coins and nickel and all these things that contain little bits of silver, and you can melt it down in your backyard, and then you make little bricks, and then you can sell it again. You know, it's one of those, you know, we all know people like that, that do stuff like that. <laughs> so um, that, the stuff that's in there is, um, it's scrap, like sterling silver, that contains some silver and some other metals, and it's been kind of ground up, so it makes a silver powder. And then it's in a crucible, which is made out of ash or bone, so, and as it heats up, like the actual crucible around it, like absorbs all the impurities. So that's all the science that I know about it and uh, that you need to know to watch the video. But it's actually pretty cool what happens. So can you watch, it's like a couple of minutes long, but we can watch it quick.
not enough. So um, it's, it's a beautiful image when you see it. There's obviously like, uh, some of you may have heard this story when somebody preaches and they say, is, uh, you know, God is like the, the smithy refining the silver and the way that he knows when the silver is actually completely pure is when he can see his image in it, when the, you can actually, when it shines completely like a mirror. So that's a beautiful, obviously a beautiful metaphor. And all the dross, the dross, it goes into the, into the borax, or into, well, the borax is the chemical on the side, but it goes into the crucible, which is a beautiful metaphor and a beautiful image. Now, in Luke 3, which is our gospel text today, there's also a ton of interesting things happen, happening. So um, let me read it for us. It starts with a list of names. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, now, it's significant that Luke mentions, mentions Tiberius. Tiberius had a name for himself. Like he, he had coins with his image on it, right? And on the coin, it read, Tiberius, son of, give a guess, son of God, right? So he said, or the full title was son of the God Augustus. So Tiberius' title that he gave himself was son of God, which makes it interesting. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judah, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Itra, Triconus, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Albilin, blah, blah, blah. Uh, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now here's the interesting bit. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see, will see God's salvation. So there's a couple of things in the text. Desert is a, is a key image in Scripture, so it means coming out from the exodus, coming out from captivity, coming out from oppression into someplace new. So you've got that. And then you have all, um, all these oppressors' names kind of in the text as well. Son of God, Tiberius, Herod, and all these brothers and all like everybody that split up the whole kingdom. So you've got all of that, all this oppression. And then you have this little interesting bit that says all the hills will be made flat and the valleys will be filled in and the crooked roads will be made straight. So if you remember the image of the silver in the beginning, it's all kind of dodgy and weird and crazy. And as the refining process happens, it goes smooth and perfect. And um, it's interesting also that in Revelation, when the sea is there, when it's mentioned, it says it's, it's like, <clears throat> it is like glass in front of the throne. There's no hills or no valleys. There's no waves. Everything is smooth and perfect. So this idea of purification. And John also preaches a baptism for the repentance of sins. Repentance meaning in the Greek means metanoia, which means to get a bigger mind. That's literally what the words mean. Meta, bigger, noia, mind, brain. So to get a bigger mind, to have a, a worldview change, to turn around completely. And in the Hebrew, repentance means, is the word is teshuva, which means to turn around and to return to that which was before. So to say to return to Eden to make this kind of complete turnaround. So you have the same thing, Malachi, the refining of the silver. In Luke, you've got the valleys being made straight, the repentance, this idea. So if we go on a little bit, we're reading about the, 
one of the first churches, Philippians. Philippians 1. And that'll be our last text, and we'll wrap up after that. Philippians 1. Sorry, let me just find it quick. Philippians 1, there was 3. It's Paul writing. And what's interesting about Philippians is Paul is writing from prison. So he's writing from prison. Prison was not a nice place. People had to bring you your food. They didn't even give you food in prison. So if your family or friends didn't bring you food, you'd die. Simple as that. And um, Paul writes from prison, and Philippians is the book in the Bible that mentions the word joy the most. <clears throat> it says... I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the reflection of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Right, so I don't know if you spotted that, but Paul tells them, Two things, that they may be pure and that they may learn to love more. That they may grow in love until Jesus comes. So in all three of the texts, you actually have the same thing. You have the refining of the silver, the hills made straight, the repentance, and then the growth in knowledge and in wisdom and in love. Right? So in all three, you have a progression. So here's the thing. It's super simple. In our Jesus culture or in our church all over, it's very easy to have like a Jesus loves you culture, right? Jesus loves you and that's awesome and that's great. But there's work to be done. Jesus really loves you, but there's work to be done. Jesus really, he loves you enough to not leave you the way that you are. And there is a refining process for all of us that you need to enter into. And it's fine it's fine that you've, you know, that you've come to Jesus and it's really, really great, but sometimes we've, we make him a little bit too soft. And that's what Advent does in this weird paradoxical way. It's very nice and you've got Christmas cards and everybody's looking forward to eating a lot and getting presents and all that. But at the same time, it's asking the question, but who are you? Like, what, what does your life look like? Is your life pure? Or not, is your life pure? Rather, are you in search of purity? And that is not a very popular question at all, to say, are you in search of purity? Will you be ready if Jesus comes? It's like that kind of, it feels almost wrong to say it and wrong to talk about it, but that is the question that Advent asks. And that's the question that we want to ask in, in third place and in this church for the next year is, who is God? God is the refiner the one that calls for purity and calls for repentance, right? And who are we? Is there stuff in your life that is dross, that needs not be there, that, that shouldn't be there? Is there something in your life, in this refiner's fire, 
There's stuff in our life that is really, really hard, and times that are hard. And when times are hard, like, it seems like the worst of you comes out, right? It's who, who are you in, in really bad traffic, right? Who are you when you have a really slow internet connection? What's that one meme when the guy says, if you want to marry somebody, first see them have a slow internet connection before you choose them and see how they react, because then you know who they really are, <laughs> right? And it's exactly that. Who are you, who are you then? When, when all your defenses are down, when the heat is on, it's like, who are you then? And that becomes a difficult question. It is, um, it is awesome to be a Christian for like the first six months, right? And then you're in that Jesus, I love you phase, or that Jesus is my boyfriend phase. And it's really great and awesome. And then after a while you realize, wait a minute, this is really hard. God is actually expecting things from me. <laughs> like there's actually stuff in my life that needs to change. And that's difficult. And I must say for me, during this year has been a hell of a year for me and Real Aid. And so much of it is our, one of our best friends, Dinda, over there. She, she keeps on reminding us, and this is what God does, the places people like Dinda in your life to refine you like a smithy. And um, she keeps on asking, yes, but what is true? Is it, it's not about them. What do you need to change? It's like she keeps on turning, turning the mirror, and I'm like, no, no, no. It's them and them and this and this. And she goes, no, no, no. What do you need to change? <laughs> I was like, I don't, want to, I don't want to ask that question. That's a difficult question. I'd rather just want to blame other people for making my life so difficult. And she goes, yeah, well, what do you need to change? And that's exactly the question. What do you need to change? What do you need to change? And you know that if there's stuff in your life that's not right that God is telling you, dude, that's not on. You can't do that. That's not a way to live. I want you to be as pure as silver so I can see my image in you. I want to get all of that dross out. I want to make the crooked places straight. Make the valleys, fill up the valleys, flatten the hills, help you to grow in knowledge and wisdom, and all of that. And what is so beautiful about it is that <coughs> in everything, God makes something beautiful. And I know it's such a cliche, but it is so beyond true. Lisa, can you put up that last picture? This is a sculpture that a friend of mine made. It, is, um, it stands there, it's close by house, by Loftus, or by Eastwoods, if you don't know where Loftus is, <laughs> Eastwoods. Close by Eastwoods, it's on the corner there in that little park, so you can go and see it. And so, um, and one day I asked him what it's about, and he says, well, the guy has a cloud over his head, right? And he's really depressed. But the irony of the sculpture is, it doesn't have a silver lining, the whole cloud is silver. So, and for me, what that means is like when bad stuff happens, when you're refined, it's not, we shouldn't say, it's really shit that this happened, but something good will probably come out of it. Or I'm sure there's something great, it'll be okay, like that. To actually move to a point where you say, this is great. This is great that this happened. Because this will be awesome. The whole thing. Not just the light part. Because the whole thing is actually good. Because the whole thing refines you and makes you pure and builds your character, not just little pieces of it. And to acknowledge those bits, to acknowledge those bits that you hate, here's, a, here's the big irony. You know the stuff that you hate in other people? Like, pick one character flaw, right, that you hate, and that you, like, overall, you, you hate when people are arrogant. 
or you hate when people are, I don't know, fake. Right? The irony is that most often, or almost 100% of the time, that's actually you. Because everything is actually about you. Because you are the only one experiencing everything around you. So whatever you see in other people that irritates you so much is actually your own dark shadow. It's actually your own kind of darkness that you're just projecting onto that person. And I think what God is inviting everybody to do is to own everything, to say, you know what? All of this crap is actually mine and to just own it so that God can make it pure and make something that is beautiful and awesome. Because actually the whole cloud is silver. And whatever you're in right now is awesome because something beautiful will be made from the whole thing. Does that make sense? And that's what God is calling us to do. So I want to give you, I want to give you a training naked for the, for, the, for the holidays. Well, this is my last sermon for the month, for the year. So I'm wearing a little rubber band on my arm. And this is to teach me a new habit. So I complain a lot, like mad a lot. And um, so I'm trying to <clears throat> not complain for 21 days, right, to break the habit. It takes 21 days to break a habit. So I'm trying to not complain for 21 days. So every time I complain, I have to switch the band, right? And then um, the, the counters restart. So you restart the 21 days again. So I'm on like day seven now, but I'm still on day one. <laughs> I haven't gone a full day without complaining yet. <laughs> Maybe today, I haven't complained today yet, it's been on this arm the whole day, so I'm like going, there's only like six hours left, I'm totally going to make it. So here's the, so, here's my rule, he was late. No, here's, okay, here's, here's the full rule. Complaining when you're not fixing it. Do you know, it's fine to see something that is wrong, and then make a point about it in a restaurant or in something, and then fix it. But to just complain for the sake of complaining, that's my, well, that's my issue. So you can define it however you want. But that's mine. So I wanted to bring a whole bunch of rubber bands tonight, but I forgot. Well, actually, I went to buy little ice lollies rather than rubber bands. So I think that was a better choice. <laughs> so this is my thing that I'm working on. This needs purification in my life. Like, it's a small, stupid thing. There's a bunch of other big stuff that I'm not going to tell you about. But... Uh, this is one that you can maybe share. And I suppose it'll work for any habit. Like whatever habit you need to break, maybe like do a little rubber band, and then every time you break, <laughs> you switch it. The other night it was so funny, I was at home, and I was like, I literally switched it like four times in the space of like 15 minutes. And Rialeta was laughing at me, because I was like going, oh, and I was like, damn it, and it's on the other hand. So <laughs> I need a lot of work. <laughs> So uh, that's it, guys. That's what I want to share with you. I don't, want, I, don't want, I don't want us to be one of those churches that are just about, it's just about being cool and Jesus loves you and everybody is like kind of welcome, everything's cool, and no hard questions ever get asked because that would just be stupid and kind of pointless. So um, I think we should turn the mirror a little bit. So let's pray.